Welcome to the Adventure Almanac Podcast. Stories about adventure and what we learn along the way. This episode is about the adventures of Inez Mejia. Finding something you're good at and then doing it regardless of what the naysayers say. She reminds us that the best time to start something is always now. Mejia was a Mexican-American woman who collected over 145,000 species of plants on expeditions from Alaska to Chile in the 1920s and 30s. If you're wondering if that's a lot of plants, it is. If you're wondering if her career path was typical of a woman in the 1920s, it was not. When she started exploring, women weren't even allowed to have passports in their own names. She traveled the world solo, slept outside whenever possible, and... <gasps> wore pants. She went where few dared to follow, to some of the wildest places imaginable, and did what others said was impossible. Oh, and she didn't start these adventures until she was in her mid-fifties. She asked herself, why not, and demonstrated that there was no place in the world that a woman couldn't explore. Are you ready for an adventure? All right now, let's go. Mejia sat in the rigid wooden chair in the lecture hall at the University of California, Berkeley. She found the botany classes interesting, but she would rather be outside. She looked out the window and daydreamed about going on nearby hikes with the Sierra Club, exploring giant redwoods and hiking the mountains of Yosemite. She could hear the forest calling her. Nature had changed her life, and it saved her. The students around her wouldn't understand. They were at least 30 years younger than her. In nature, she could move beyond the memories of her separated parents, her first husband, and the incompetence of her second husband. She could be her full self when she wasn't curled up in a ball on top of her bed. Her doctors had prescribed a change in scenery to help her overcome what they called a mental breakdown. Now her life as a chicken farmer in Mexico and her strained relationships were long behind her. San Francisco had been good to her. She had made friends. School had been good for her. She had learned new skills. Exploring had been great for her. Her mind wandered back to her first group research trip to Mexico. She collected almost the same number of species that Darwin collected during his voyage around South America. She had a knack for identifying species, and somehow she found it easy to remember the things she saw in nature. Sure, she had fallen off a cliff and broken her ribs, but she had been so close to reaching that unknown planet even now, she smiled as she thought about how she almost got it. And sure, a fly had laid eggs up her nostril and then worms wiggled out of her nose. But really, how much did that slow her down? In the end, they named a new species of mimosa plant after her, so I guess that was a success. Fun wasn't the right word. She felt excited and thrived in the challenging environment and endless searching. She couldn't believe her good fortune. Not only had she found something that she was good at, but she also loved doing it, and people would pay her to do what she loved. She collected over 30,000 species from her year-long expedition in Mexico, and that attracted the attention of museums and collectors from around the world. And last year, in the summer of 1928, she was even hired to visit Alaska and conduct the first general collection of plants from Denali National Park. She looked out the window again and thought to herself, what was next? Black smoke billowed from the chimney of the Victoria, 
the slow-moving, wood-burning steamboat carried her up the Amazon River. The river was vast, and it felt like they were plowing through an endless sea of chocolate milk. Only a faint green mist signaled the presence of land on either side. There were breaks in the monotony, other boats, islands, various things floating by, and rare sightings of pink dolphins splashing and leaping and playing in the water around the boat. When they stopped for fuel, she couldn't wait to put on her khaki gear and shimmy into her rubber boots to investigate the forest alone. It wasn't that she wasn't friendly, it was just that the crew and other passengers didn't understand her desire to explore. 24 days and 2,500 miles later, she arrived in Iquitos, Peru. Now her adventure could really begin. A maze of rivers reached out in all directions, into the depths of the Amazon, creating a network of trade in exotic animals, rubber, and mahogany. She purchased three months of supplies and continued moving. After another week of travel by steamboat, she arrived in the small town of Barranca on the Rio Marañón. She hired guides and two large dugout canoes to carry her and her supplies to the headwaters of the Amazon River. There were few signs of people or civilization where she was going. Her two guides, Neptali and Valentino, steered the canoe up the meandering brown river and past the endless green walls of vegetation waiting to be explored. At night, they camped on beaches where the tracks of jaguars and other animals warned them that they weren't quite alone. They had a strange feeling they were being watched. For nine days, they paddled upstream, waiting for the blue hue of the Andes Mountains to get closer and closer. They stopped the canoe on the sandy beach to prepare for the river ahead. The sound of the wind and water rushing through the Pongo de Mansareche River Gorge was intimidating. When they looked up from the canoe, they were surrounded by men from the Aguaruna tribe. Their long spears were raised above them, and the 12-foot blowguns waved menacingly in their direction. Her guides Valentino and Neptali quickly explained that they weren't from the enemy tribe, and soon everyone was celebrating together. It was a much-needed positive interaction before entering the dark gorge ahead. The water was hundreds of feet deep as the river narrowed from a mile wide to less than a hundred feet across. Limestone walls towered over a thousand feet above them. The massive water created terrifying whirlpools, giant waves, unpredictable cross-currents, and mysterious domes of water bubbling from below. She couldn't help but wonder if their dugout canoe could make it. They made it. And just as rainy season was beginning, they built a camp at the mouth of the Rio Santiago. They settled in for three months of exploring and collecting specimens from the unspoiled wilderness. Occasionally, members of the Aguaruna tribe would visit and they would get chickens, plantains, manioc, monkeys, and parrots to supplement their supplies. At Christmas dinner in 1931, she and the guides huddled near a small Christmas tree under their tent, and she gratefully exclaimed that the local exotic food was not bad eating at all. After being stranded for months, there was a break in the weather and the flood subsided. Neptali negotiated with the Aguaruna people to bring giant logs of balsa wood to begin their escape plan with her collections. He built a large raft by lashing the balsa logs together with vines. Then they used the bark of a palm tree to build a platform. When it was finished, they loaded the creaking raft with her plant, insect, and bird specimens and climbed aboard made the sign of the cross as they pushed the raft into the current of the river. They immediately started spinning. There was no real way to control the raft. They were at the mercy of the river. Neptali and Valentino tried to steer with the large oars, but the Marañón River was pushing them towards the Pongo whether they were ready or not. 
The current tossed them about and they hung on for dear life. The canyon wall sped by as the river pushed them forward. The raft groaned and strained, but somehow managed to stay together. They looked up and saw that they were drifting towards the great upper whirlpool. There was nothing they could do. The edge of the whirlpool caught the raft and they started spinning. Suddenly, they were headed back upstream, then back downstream, then back upstream again. They circled the whirlpool three times before they were released and floated swiftly downstream. The pace of the river slowed to a crawl. They built a palm leaf house on the platform, complete with a fireplace and chicken coop, and they enjoyed traveling in relative comfort back to Iquitos. Mejia negotiated the shipment of her specimens back to California, but since she hadn't quite made it across Peru, she arranged for a float plane to take her to Lima so that she could complete her journey across the continent. Was this the end of her adventure? If you've learned anything about Inez Mejia so far, you know that this was barely the beginning. Although the world was still in the depths of the Great Depression, Mejia secured funding from the U.S. government to search for the Chinchona tree and mysterious palms in Ecuador and Colombia. Before long, she was off on another adventure. The wax palm is an unbelievable plant. It's one of the few palm species that grows in cold, high altitudes. What would you expect a palm tree that grows in cold temperatures to look like? Did you imagine a slender, delicate trunk that grows to be 200 feet tall? Me either. Mejia was on a quest to collect a specimen of the wax palm. There were rumors that some were growing near the Volcán de Chiles on the border of Ecuador and Colombia. Chiles was a mountain capped by a thick layer of ice and snow, and the locals said that the journey couldn't be done, especially not by her. However, she found two horses and a willing packer named Jose to guide them on their mission. They made plans to set out early in the morning to cross the Paramo, the cold, treeless plateau at the base of the volcano. Their only hope was a terrible trail that circled the eastern side of the volcano before descending to tree level. It appeared that Jose wanted to depart late and stop early. This wasn't exactly her ideal travel style. She was more ambitious, more daring, more driven. She had a purpose in life, and despite being 61 years old, no one was going to slow her down. When Jose stopped for lunch and announced that they had traveled far enough, she debated with him for a moment and then continued down the trail with the horses without him. Jose's son followed her and soon, Jose gave up and continued down the trail as well. She didn't know where she was going, but she knew she wasn't ready to slow down. It was rainy, cold, and windy on the high plateau. The ground turned to mush as the trail descended into a valley. The horses stepped clumsily as they sunk up to their chest in the boggy, soggy mud. They dismounted from the horses and carried their packs on their backs to continue moving forward. They finally gave in and made camp. Thin grasses and a few stubby espalitia trees were the only things growing on the Paramo. The trees were like small, fuzzy palm trees, except that it was a shrub and was essentially a giant daisy, and not very helpful for shelter on a cold, rainy night. Jose crouched under the leaves of a makeshift windbreak and shivered in his poncho while he ate a cold dinner. It was embarrassing. The situation was ridiculous. They would freeze or get sick from being out in the cold all night. She took control and built a tent between two trees using a rope and her two ponchos. While the others hunkered under the tent, she scoured the ground for dry leaves and made a fire to cook potatoes and pea soup. They would make it through the night, and she was in no mood to hear any complaints from Jose. The north face of Chiles was somewhere above them in the blanket of clouds, 
and she felt they were getting closer to their goal as the trail climbed into Colombia. The ancient trail, perhaps the steepest trail she'd ever seen, was worn down from centuries of use and erosion. It was a miniature canyon with a stream running down the center and waterfall and giant boulders blocking the path. Riding the horses was out of the question, so they jumped from rock to rock and slid as best they could. And of course, she insisted on taking breaks to collect interesting looking plants along the way. The trail widened and the air grew warmer as they descended into the thick forest. They continued following the trail back into Ecuador. There they saw it. High on a cliff above a river, they spotted their first wax palm. But there was no way to reach it. She was devastated. She couldn't believe her luck. Jose's friend in the village knew where they could find the palm, and it was only a half day's ride away. There was no such thing as too early of a start for her. She waited impatiently for Jose and his friend to get ready. The trail was so steep that she had to be pulled up by rope on some of the sections, and unlike their night on the Paramo, the sun shone relentlessly on their backs. They measured their progress in feet per hour instead of miles per hour. But when they rounded a corner, the view was unmistakable. The tall, slender palm rose high into the sky above the other dark trees in the forest. Its white striped trunk shimmered in the sunlight like a beacon. They took measurements and photographs and then collected the first specimen of this tree to ever be seen in the United States. It was a long journey home down the impossibly steep trail, but she was beaming with excitement. She collected a few more plants along the way and even found a species of the malaria-fighting chinchona tree. Along the trail, wild blueberries grew in abundance as she had seen in Alaska. She gleefully picked handfuls of berries and snacked as the sky began to fade to dusk. All of a sudden, she felt sick and dizzy. Was it the altitude? It hadn't been an issue before. She almost fainted and she struggled to stay on her horse. Her assistant Palma rushed to her side. What was going on? Were the blueberries she had eaten not blueberries? How could a botanist have been so careless? Doctors and drugs were days away. Dazed in a dark room, she heard a commotion outside and then the loud squawking of a chicken flapping by the window. A man entered the room with a warm, unwashed feather in his hand and unceremoniously poked it down her throat. Repeatedly, she vomited uncontrollably and watched as the non-blueberries and everything else projected from her body. Gradually, the pain lessened and by morning, she was feeling much better. It was pouring rain again, but she had samples to file, package, and return. They must go on. The trail to Tofino went back through the sinking bogs they had crossed at the start of the journey. As expected, it was muddy and slippery as ever. The horses stepped carefully from bump to bump, avoiding the deepest puddles. Then all of a sudden, Palma's horse slipped and started rolling downhill. Palma leapt to safety, but his horse was stuck upside down in the mud, all four feet waving in the air like the grass in the breeze. They continued down the trail. Wait, wait, wait a second. I'm not going to leave you hanging like that. The horse was fine. They pulled the horse out of the mud, and every person and horse made it safely back to Tofino. With Inez Mejia in charge, they were unstoppable. From Ecuador, she continued exploring South America. Over the next three years, she went on expeditions to Peru, Bolivia, Argentina, and Chile. She traveled all the way to the southern tip of Chile, the Straits of Magellan and Tierra del Fuego, and then back up to Esmeraldas in Ecuador. She traveled in open cars, by horseback, and on foot. Into her late 60s, there was nothing she couldn't do. 
she found purpose and meaning in using her wits to survive in nature and find species of plants that had never been seen before. With each flower pressed and leaf cataloged, she chased her dream. She could do anything once she learned a few skills. And it was never too late to start the next adventure. Alright, that's a wrap to Season 1 of the Adventure Almanac. We hope you enjoyed these stories and that you are excited for more. Do you have an idea for a story, person, or theme to explore? Subscribe to our newsletter to learn more about our plans, or send us feedback and suggestions for future episodes. From under the pillow and blanket fort of Adventure Nerds HQ, we thank you for listening. If you like our stories, please share them with others. A special shout-out to Oak City Kate and HD Dubs for your kind reviews and motivation. This podcast is produced by the team at Adventure Nerds. Music in today's episode was by Julius H. and Kevin McLeod. Until next time, be curious and choose adventure. What plant best describes your personality? <laughs> <laughs>